What is the gospel message? We talk about it all the time. We're in church and we hear about it and you've even heard it from me. The gospel message about Jesus coming and uh, God himself coming in the form of Jesus, uh, taking on our flesh, dying on the cross uh, for our sins and raising from the dead and then he's going to come back again. That's what we say the gospel message is and it is. That is the gospel message. But is it more than that? When Jesus himself was here on this earth, would he have said that's the gospel message? Because he told his disciples to go out and say, to proclaim the good news, which gospel means good news. So what was the message of Jesus? What was it that he kept proclaiming about? Because he kept telling his disciples, those that were closest to him, hey, I'm going to die, and then I'm going to rise again. But when he was out amongst everybody else, he didn't talk about that. Instead, his messages all centered around one thing. And it wasn't about always talking about him and himself. In fact, we're going to see what was it that he talked about all the time. And it's in Mark 1. Mark 1, 14 and 15. Later on, after John was arrested, Jesus went into Galilee where he preached God's good news. So what was this good news? The time has come. He said, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. The kingdom of God is near. That was the message that Jesus proclaimed over and over again, was that the kingdom of God is near. It's here. And so you need to repent and believe. He his whole, every part of his message, even his biggest sermon that we talk about, the Sermon on the Mount, was all centered around this kingdom, the kingdom of God. Everybody in Israel, they had all been looking forward to this time. And in Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, was all about what does it mean to live in the kingdom of God. And he made this one statement that what should be the highest priority for all of us, all of his followers, those that claim to be followers of Jesus, in Matthew 6, 33, he said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things shall be added to you. That's our first and top priority is the kingdom of God. That is the good news. That is the gospel message, and it's all available to us because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. And what, here's what we're going to find out is that the kingdom of God is completely upside down from what we would expect. When you look at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus spends time blessing the wrong people. He says he, he doesn't go after the elite. He doesn't go after the, the celebrities. He actually says, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. He, he spends time and shows that the whole kingdom of God is completely upside down from our way of thinking. That the greatest in the kingdom of God is not the one with the title, the one with the most power, the most authority. It's actually the one who takes up the basin and towel and serves one another. Jesus' words are very clear that the kingdom of God is to be the number one focus and emphasized in the lives of his followers. In fact, it is the core of the gospel message. Jesus' gospel message was all about the kingdom of God coming to this earth. And how often, though, has it been that you've actually heard that proclaimed in the churches? 
So what is this whole idea? And this is why I feel like we don't hear about it oftentimes, because we don't really understand what does it mean to be part of a kingdom, right? The, the part of a kingdom, what it first means is that there is a king, and God is that king, and he is ruling. He is sovereign. He is in complete control, and so we can rest in that control, knowing that he is working everything out, that his rule is being issued out amongst all people. And so it, what he issues out as a command is what we must obey, but we, we listen and then we obey him first. And it conflicts with the world and the kingdoms, and so this is why so many have found themselves in jail, like Paul, right, and Peter, and other disciples. And even today, the, the missionaries around the globe, that's why a lot of them are persecuted, because there's two kingdoms totally battling it out, and there's one that kingdom that the rest, the followers of Jesus have said, no, this kingdom is ruler over everything. So we're the kingdom of God. Maybe understanding this is that it's kind of this whole idea that uh, God has created everything, and yes, we have our man-made kingdoms and governments and authorities that are here, and they only get that authority because God allows them to have it. But doesn't mean that they're following in God's will. But God's kingdom is actually over all of those kingdoms, and so we actually respond to that kingdom and His His lordship more than any other. And so when we have our governments and, and rules and laws, and they line up, awesome. That's great for us. And that's what we should be praying for and seeking for. But at the same time, when it comes in conflict, then we have to choose where our true citizenship lies. And our true citizenship is not with our world here, but in the kingdom of God. And so when we, the kingdom of God, is present where people have sworn their allegiance to Jesus and aligned their life with His priorities and commands. It's where we see God's impartial justice being issued out and proclaimed and the righteousness of God being lived out as well. It's where we see, whereas Jesus lived both in truth and grace, and it's where we see those two come together. That is where we know the kingdom of God is at. So wherever we go, if we are truly submitted to Jesus and His Lordship in our lives, then the kingdom of God is there. And so we don't have to bow to the, the authorities or the realities of this world, but we are living by a whole different standard. It's kind of like the whole matrix thing, right? And you take the red pill or the blue pill, and then you take the one, and, and all of a sudden you start seeing things in a whole different light. You start realizing there's another reality here that's at play. And unfortunately, those of the world are completely darkened to that. They are blind to it. And so they're living out of their flesh, living, believing the lies of Satan. And it's all that's the kingdom that they know of. But as Christians, we see a different kingdom. And we live by those rules. And it goes in conflict at times with other people. They're like, wait, you are actually giving away your money? You're actually... Doing like that doesn't make any sense. Well, it's because I live by I have a king who's ruling over everything and he provides what I need. And the more generous I am, the more that he gives. And here's the thing when you start proclaiming the place you are at isn't supreme and God's kingdom reigns over everything, we need to obey the king of the universe and not the politician, then you become a threat. 
when you start not playing by the world's rule, the world's rules, you become a threat. And that's when the opposition comes. And that's the conflict we find ourselves in today. This is why our whole theme is kingdom living in this hellish world. And let's be honest, we are living in a hellish world. We might be protected here, but outside here, as we look at stuff that's going on in our society, of what used to be called shameful is now we have parades for, where we have drag queens and transgender uh, and all this type of stuff going on, and they're having it where they're actually grooming kids in order to say that this is acceptable, that this is okay, where we have mass shootings taking place, where we see, we're seeing more and more uh, demonic shows uh, coming on national television and movies. There's more and more of this push where Satan's not even hiding anymore. He's just coming out full of out and says, here I am. And the question I have is, where is the kingdom of God? Where is it, and how do we fight back? What does it look like for us to live out kingdom living in a hellish world? And that's what we're going to see in our new study going through the book of Titus. As we go through, we're going to see a theme where God, through Paul, lays out the need for proper Christian living in the midst of an evil, hellish world. And around us, we see the hostility and corruption of the world, but we must show by our life what the grace of God can do. And that there's a different way of living. This is what the kingdom living in a hellish world is all about. So today, we're going to see Paul lay out his purpose, his basis, and the power of his ministry. And ministry is what God's people, the citizens of the kingdom, that's what another word for their life. Because as a citizen of the kingdom of God, every aspect of our life is ministry. So we need to look at what is Paul's purpose, basis, and power of his life, his ministry, and know that the same is true for us. So let's look at Titus 1, 1 through 4. This letter is from Paul, a slave of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. I have been sent to proclaim faith to those God has chosen and to teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. This truth gives them confidence that they have eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised them before the world began. And now, at just the right time, he has revealed this message, which we announce, or the word preach, to, to everyone. It is by the command of God our Savior that I have been entrusted with this work for him. I am writing to, uh, I'm writing to Titus, my son, true son, in the faith that we share. May God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior give you grace and peace. How many of us really know who we are and why we're here on this earth? I mean, beyond just the normal surfacey stuff, what is your reason for being, your personal identity and meaning in life? I love the Mark Twain quote that says the two most important days in your life are the day that you are born and the day you find out why. I love this quote because it is so true. And the problem is, is that so many times is that when we don't kill off the flesh like we should as Christians, and we try to have, we're trying to be dual citizens. We try to be citizens of this world while also citizens of the kingdom, and it doesn't work that way. And the problem can be that we try to figure out our reason for being and purpose apart from God. 
What I pray for you is that by going through this series, that you will begin to see how you fit into the kingdom of God and what contribution you are to play. Titus encourages, as you're going to see, Titus, the whole book of Titus encourages ordinary believers, all of us, of all walks of life, to consider every part of their lives as an expression of the will of God, submitting to the king and living by the kingdom's rules. This is part of living in the kingdom, is understanding that nothing, and I mean absolutely nothing, is yours. It all belongs to God and His purposes. And that specifically includes you and I as citizens of the kingdom. We're used to, in our democracy, to think that politicians, they're supposed to work for us, right? No taxation, taxation without representation. That they, they're there to serve us. And so we vote, they do what we want, uh, and that's the way it works. In a kingdom, the citizens work for the king. It's not the other way around. And Paul understands this, and that's why here in this verse 1, he makes it very clear, starting off introducing himself as a slave of God. It means that he is under compulsion. He's being forced. He's committed to faithful service as a slave to a master. He's submitted to his will of the God. He can't help but obey. There's no other choice for him. His desire, it's not just force on him, though. It's his desire to serve and to be of service no matter the personal cost. When you develop this mindset that you are a slave of God, it means that God has the right to tell us whatever He needs us to do. And we have submitted to Him, and we say, okay, I'm going to go. When we start placing boundaries, it means that we haven't fully submitted to the Lordship and the kingdom of God. He also says here that He's an apostle. Of Jesus Christ. Now, this is his personal selection that he's sending out, sending out by Jesus. That and and we aren't just, uh, apostles. Uh, this is unique for him. This is, gives him the uh, authority. As we've talked about before, an apostle of God was one that had seen Jesus, had walked with Jesus, and saw the resurrected Jesus face to face. And Paul had seen that, and he was actually trained by Jesus himself, as he talked about in Galatians. So he has this authority from Jesus himself to proclaim what he is here. And so when he's talking, it's not just him talking. It is the Holy Spirit and God talking through him. Now, while we aren't apostles, we are his disciples, and us too are sent out to proclaim this message. Paul was dedicated and loyal to God. He was sold out. All he wanted to do was to please and honor him. And Paul, what we need to understand is the norm. It's what we should be striving for. He's not the exception. And Paul's desire is for others to join him in his level of faith. That's what he wants to see happen. And so that's what he says is, I have been sent to proclaim faith to those God has chosen and to teach them to know the truth that shows them how to live godly lives. So this is where we see his purpose. And it's the same for all of us is that he wants to see salvation come about to everyone. He wants to see the spiritual growth take place where they grow into the maturity. As they become more and more, it's not just about, all right, we're just trying to get a bunch of people wet and saved type thing. It's about growing in maturity of Jesus. And he recognizes that this is what leads to eternal life. This is what leads to being true citizens of the kingdom. And this is why 
more than anything else, I focus on the Bible and Jesus so much. Because I recognize that all the self-help stuff, it's not going to help you. This is the only thing that truly helps us and will lead us in life, to live a life that truly matters. So he calls out to all those that are called to come to God. He says, to proclaim to the faith to those God has chosen and to teach them to know the truth. So how do you know if God's chosen you? Have you given your life to Jesus? He's chosen you. Some have said that the whole, uh, we talk about uh, predestination, that I've been predestined, and, uh, and they get into that talk. Another way of looking at that is as you walk through the door of salvation, you turn and over the door it says predestined. You've been chosen. But it's an everyday choice that you have to make to submit to the kingdom, to submit to the king. It's also, he says that he... Uh, This truth gives them confidence that they will have eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised them before the world began. So it's this truth that he constantly proclaims, and the truth is what's under attack, and the truth is what the devil keeps trying to kill. It's, we're surrounded in a world of lies, and truth, when it comes out, it, it is attacked. We tried to crucify truth, but Jesus said it's not going to happen, and he rose from the dead three days later. He def- this, this defines the first two purposes of, of salvation and spiritual maturity. And truth will lead to godly life. And as our life changes, then we have that assurance of salvation that sometimes we doubt on ourselves. When we can look back and we can be like, oh, look, I'm not the same person. I don't have the same desires. I don't have the same priorities that I used to have. Something in me has changed. And as we apply more and more of this truth to our lives, we start recognizing that. And this gives us that assurance of our eternal life with God. It helps us also to spot those false teachers because their life does not line up with the truth. And godliness is a holistic life in which God and His Word affects every part of our life. For Paul, he wasn't just about numbers or planting seeds, but to see the person mature and become fruitful. So what was this basis of ministry? Well, it comes from this confidence, this hope of they have eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised them before the world began. Why devote his life? Uh, Think about this. Paul was one of the greatest scholars to ever walk this face of the earth. So why would he devote his life and mind to ministry, to immense persecution, to go through all this hardship and, and pain. Why would he do that? Because he had a hope of eternal life. Because he recognized that this world is not all there is. That there's a kingdom above this world, and that's where we actually need to, we're all headed to, and that's what we need to give our lives to. Now, when we think of hope, we think of it's uncertain. Well, I hope that tomorrow's going to be a good day. I hope that this happens. I hope that my team wins. But hope, scripturally speaking, is based in God and the person of Jesus, and nothing else. It's not based on a location, it's not based on a job, it's not based on anybody else but God and who He is. So it's not wasting your life when your hope and confidence is based in God and Jesus. 
So our hope is grounded in the promises of God. And he says here, the reason that we can be so sure of that is that God does not lie. And he promised before the world even began about our eternal life, that he was going to make a way. The promise of eternal life before time in mankind was created. And he accomplished the means of salvation at just the right time, he says. At just the right time. Verse 3, and now at just the right time, he has revealed this message, which we announce to everyone. It is the command of our God, our Savior, that I have been entrusted with this work for him. At just the right time. Listen, do you realize, we've talked a little bit about this, is that the Greeks, when they overtook the world and they were ruling, they came up with a common language, right? And then Rome kind of overthrew that, and he, they, they had peace, amongst the empire, and they made roads. And then that's when Jesus came into the world. So that when he came, there was a common language amongst all people. There was roads to be able to safely go out to proclaim the message at just the right time. God is never late. He's never early. He's always right on time. And he accomplished all of this at just the right time by coming into our world, taking on our flesh, dying on the cross, and raising from the dead, and firmly establishing that his kingdom is here. That the message that Jesus proclaimed from the very get-go, that the kingdom of God is near, his resurrection is saying the kingdom is here. And so we can trust what he says because he conquered death and satisfied the wrath of God. We can trust and when he asks us to take those steps of faith, and we can trust to live our lives by the kingdom's principles and to live out the kingdom living in a hellish world. God did the hard part, and our job as the church is simply to proclaim, to be a herald, to preach about Jesus, that the king is coming soon, that there is a different way of living life, and it is not by this society and the world. But the church that does not preach... The gospel message will not reach the world. Preaching changes the world. Preaching changes lives because it is not based on the messenger, but on God and his word. And where God's word goes forth, it changes everything. But if Jesus is still dead, then all this, all the preaching is for nothing. And preaching is absolutely stupid. But because he is alive and he's ruling in heaven today, then we can stand confidently and proclaim that the kingdom of God is here. And we need to start living our lives according to his principles and his life. We can take those big risks because our king is ruling over everything. And nothing is going to happen to us apart from what he says can happen. Verse 4, I'm writing to Titus, my true son in the faith that we share. May God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior give you grace and peace. Listen, I will talk more about Titus and Crete next time, but needless to say, what you need to know about Titus, that Titus was madly respected by Paul, that they had this deep friendship. In fact, many would say that Titus actually became a Christian. He was a Greek and became a Christian because of Paul's gospel message. And now Paul uses Titus as kind of like his Navy SEALs, like, hey, I got a special mission for you. I need you to go in there, and this is what I need you to do. 
And that's what we'll see is happening here. But I want to focus on how he closes here. May God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior give you grace and peace. God's unmerited favor and unshakable peace. These are the benefits of God. Those who serve God, this is the promise of divine provision and inner stability, regardless of what's happening around us. Ministry initiated by God and Jesus can be accomplished only by reliance upon them. And so many times what ends up happening is that people go into ministry and they're more dependent upon their own character and charisma than they are the Spirit of God. And then they crash and burn because they're, built, they're trying to rely on their own strength. We need to be reliant on God's grace and His peace. Because ministry, life in the kingdom, all right? I'm not talking about vocational ministry. I'm talking for all of us. Ministry is our life. That is life in the kingdom. Life in the kingdom is dealing with the supernatural. So you can't do it by your own strength and wisdom. We need the power of the king to help us to live in his kingdom. And he gives us that power through his Holy Spirit. So how much peace do you feel right now in the core of your being? Because I love how Thomas Kelly says it, that life is meant to be lived from a sinner, a divine sinner. Life from the sinner is a life, an unhurried peace and power. It is simple. It is serene. It is amazing. It is triumphant. It is radiant. It takes no time, but it occupies all our time. And it makes our life programs new and overcoming. We need not get frantic. God is at the helm. And when our little day is done, we lie down quietly in peace for all as well. Thomas Kelly is also known for saying, God never guides us into an intolerable scramble of panting feverishness. So oftentimes we find ourselves in that panic instead of that peace. So where's your soul at? Is there something that maybe the unrest is coming that because there's something that you need to confess and repent of? Is there something that you're just not willing to surrender? Is there something that holds you, is, is, it's more fear that's holding you captive? And we need to replace that fear with faith. When I think of this word peace, grace and peace, I always think of the classic story of the first waterbed. Mark 4. As evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross to the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat, and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up, shouting, Teacher, don't you care? We're going to drown. When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence! Be still! And suddenly the wind stopped, and there was great calm. Then he asked them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? And the disciples were absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other. Even the wind and waves obey him. 
when we have that unrest, when we're not living life from the center, we're like the disciples in the boat and the storm crashing in, and, and we need Jesus to calm the storm, right? We're asking Jesus, Jesus, calm the storm. But sometimes when we look back, we see, and he feels like he is not doing anything. In fact, he's sleeping. And here's what we can do. We can actually, like, look at our own lives, all right? We can maybe get hard on the disciples, but look at our own lives, when we are being frantic, our soul is unrest, and there's so much going on, and we're just like, God, where are you at? What's going on? And it seems like he's sleeping. He's actually not. He's in complete control. There's nothing for these disciples to worry about because the kingdom of God was there. The king was in the boat. He was sleeping. He's in control. Even when he's sleeping, he's in absolute, complete control. And so they could have actually said, this is awesome! Like, the, like taking the waves on and just riding it out because there was nothing to be afraid of. And the same thing is true for us. That we simply need to keep our eyes on Jesus and knowing that He isn't panicking, then neither do we. As long as we're staying in step with Him and we're all of a sudden like, God, should I be worried about this? And He's like, nah, I got this and we, we can just ride the waves. We can have so much fun and knowing that we're going to have a great story to tell at the end of this. Like when we get to the other side, like, yeah, there was waves like this tall and, and it was lightning crashing down, but it was so awesome. Like it was so much fun. Kingdom living in a hellish world will be marked with grace and peace. And as it does so, it changes lives. So we simply need to just keep our eyes on Jesus.